We have already sung from Psalm 24 where the psalmist asks, Who will ascend into that hill of the Lord? Who can stand in the place of his holiness? For men and women, that is a vital question. Who is it that can enter into the presence of the holy God? The people of the Old Testament And the Old Testament shows that those who were aware of God and His holiness knew that to see God face to face, to be in the presence of His holiness, was something to be feared. And only but God spoke gracious words of comfort to those who saw His appearance. They were saved because they knew the Lord. As people are so full of sin and blackness, In our hearts, we have no right to stand in the presence of the holy, holy God. We ought to realize that. But we give thanks this evening because through Jesus Christ we have been forgiven. And for that reason, we have a hope of ascending the hill of the Lord. And we come this evening, as we give thanks for the sacrament of the Lord, to focus our thoughts on the Lord's ascension. Here uh, we are being reminded in the Lord's Supper of the one, the one who is truly worthy to enter the presence of the Most High, to dwell with God forever. The perfect man, Jesus Christ, who was obedient even to death, and death on the cross. And in that righteousness of his own, he entered the presence of the Father. But what is staggering and amazing is that he also gives access to you and me through his bloodshed and because of the cloak of righteousness which covers us. And so as we see him ascend here at the end of Luke's Gospel, we have lessons that we can learn. Here is the one who would ascend. And what a joy it is that we can learn from this portion of God's Word. There are some features in this account of the ascension that we want to give thought to. Not just the last three verses, but really from verse 45 onwards. There are some things that we want to pick out from this and learn from. First of all, we want to note just the background to this ascension. It didn't happen, uh, in a sense, out of the blue. It was something that Jesus was leading up to as a risen Lord. We note here that he opened the mind of the disciples to the Word. We note also that even as he ascended, he blessed them. And having left them, they're not discouraged but rather they are full of joy. So we want to think first of all, as we think about the ascension, we want to think first of all of this fact that he opened their mind. Here's something that is vital for us to to grasp and for ourselves. Remember the situation here, the disciples, having followed Jesus, have seen him crucified. And in their understanding that was so limited Surely sorrow and disappointment would have followed the crucifixion. Their leader, 
the one in whom was tied up all their hope had been crucified. Why did it happen? Well, we thought about that this morning for our sin. But now they are even more confused because the, the Lord is appearing as a risen Lord among them. He is risen from the dead. And in their thinking, they're wrestling to the terms with what this means. How can this be? Though they've heard Jesus teach them many things and explain to them how he is going to fulfill the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, they're still struggling. Their minds are clouded. It would be like me listening to someone talk about their engineering skills and all the little wires and all the, the magnetic fields and all of that stuff. They can talk about all of it, but it's a fog to me. It's into this context that Jesus, the risen Lord, comes. And we read in verse 45, He opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. That was an absolutely marvelous thing. They came, they were listening to Jesus as a risen Savior, and He opens up their minds so that now they are beginning to grasp what his death was about. How they have been amazed at his resurrection. But now it's beginning to fall into place because as they have learnt passages from the Old Testament, now they can begin to see how they speak of Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, who had to suffer. He opens their minds. He gives them an understanding of the Scripture. The clouds and the fog begins to dissipate, and the mists clear somewhat. And he tells them that he had come to bring the message of repentance and forgiveness. And that's the message that was to be preached. So they now have an understanding that will enable them to minister and follow the Messiah. Friends, today, we still struggle. We still wrestle to understand the Scriptures. In the sluggishness of our own mindsets, in the finite nature of our thinking, we so often come to the Word and it is but a mist. We can see parts of it, perhaps. There are some truths that are clear, but there are other things, and we still wonder. I know I certainly find it difficult reading some passages and remembering how does this relate to what comes after or before? How does it focus on Jesus? And we need to be thinking and working at our understanding. In reality, we are no different to the disciples. And we need our risen Savior to open our minds to give us an understanding of the Word. And that's what we need to pray for as we come to the Bible, as we come to our quiet time or to the reading of the Word even here in church that we would have our minds, our understanding opened and that God by His Holy Spirit might help us that all that we hear would become clearer. What a delight it should be. What we should, we should be thankful for the fact that God does open our minds to understand.
Those who have confessed faith in Jesus Christ have had the clouds of sin removed. The Holy Spirit has given you at least that basic understanding that you are before God a sinner. And he has opened your mind to understand that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Do you not give thanks that he has opened your mind to those truths? For anyone who comes to faith in Jesus, he has opened up your minds to understand the Scripture. And friends, that's what we need. That's what we need to see God do in the lives of those who are yet outside the kingdom, that the utter darkness of their thinking might be enlightened by the Spirit of God. But we ourselves should be praying that the mists that still remain might yet be dissipated more. He opened their minds. Jesus, you see, is preparing. He's preparing the way to ascend away from them. But the second thing we want to note in these verses is that he, he gave them a mission. He gave them a mission. He tells the disciples that he had come uh, to bring good news. He says to them, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. But then he adds in Luke's account, you are witnesses of these things. Or we could turn to Matthew to the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Who's to do it? His followers. Those who have had their minds opened to understand the scripture. What is a witness? An eyewitness to do? They are to witness to the truth. They go and tell what they have witnessed. And we know that when Jesus says to them, you are witnesses of these things, that's what he means. He said, you have been with me as I taught. You have been with me when I was on earth healing the sick and teaching the way of God. You have been with me as I was uh, taken in before uh, the authorities. And you have been with me watching me as I was crucified. And I have come to you as a risen Lord and you have seen me, my hands and my feet. You are witnesses of these things. And he says, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. You're not going to be in your own. I will, in giving you this mission, will also give you the power, the promised Holy Spirit. And when that Spirit comes, you will go out to be witnesses to the world. They were to be witnesses to Jesus. And that word can be applied to everyone who comes to Christ Everyone who witnesses the shed blood symbolized in the wine, the body broken symbolized in the bread, know by faith what happened to him. We know he is risen and we are witnesses in our faith. And we are to be witnesses to that faith to others. He has given you and me a mission. And our mission is centered upon him. To declare to others, as he says, repentance and forgiveness of sins. Of course, to do that, we need first to have repented and been forgiven and had our minds open. But then we're to go and tell others. 
you and I today have observed again by faith Christ's death, Christ's suffering. We need to be talking to others that they too might be awakened to him. Yes, the apostles, the disciples in Jesus' day were living in a very unique time. How privileged they were, we could say in one sense, because they saw the Master. They, they met with the risen Lord as they saw him physically in his risen body. They came to the day of Pentecost and they were endowed with the power of the Holy Spirit remarkably to do signs and wonders to attest to the very truth that they would preach. They were to be witnesses. But we, though we are living in a different age, have still to be witnesses for him. Witnesses by the power of the same Spirit to the glory of God and the honor of his name. Jesus is preparing these men that he will not be always with them physically. And we rejoice that he is with us, though not physically. Second, thirdly, I want to focus on the blessing. As Jesus then sends, we come to verses 50 to 53, when he had led them out, Oh, to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. We do well to ponder the blessing of Christ. This was not merely a word. Sometimes we hear people say, bless you. They have no power to bless, nor is even the word that they're saying sincere. I'm sure you've heard that somebody might say, bless you. But it lacks any meaning. It is worthless. That person has no power to bless you. And sometimes it comes from a person who doesn't even know the God who can bless. And useless. Jesus lifts up his hands to bless the disciples. It is very potent. It is very real. Here he is, the king. Here he is, the one who prophesied his death and spoke about it. Here he is acting as a priest. Here he is holding up priestly hands as the one great high priest. And with all the authority of the priesthood, he says, I will bless you. Bless them. And it had authority. It was going to be effective and have power. See, the priest in the Old Testament, when he truly blessed the people in the name of the Lord, it was something meant, it was, uh, um, it was a real blessing. And fruit would flow from it into the lives of those on whom he pronounced the blessing. Jesus, as the great high priest, brings a meaningful authoritative blessing to his disciples. It's a blessing of so many ways. It, had, it was a blessing for them that they would have him the rest of their, their days. He, he had given them that promise that if they waited in Jerusalem, the, the very presence of the Spirit would come. And that's the very Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the, second per, the third person of the Godhead. Jesus, by Spirit, would be with them. Directing them. What blessing. 
He blesses them in that when they find difficulty and troubles, He will be the one who will guide them and lead them. We could think of that, this blessing going in so many different avenues and directions. But surely the primary blessing was a blessing to the soul that they had now come to know the things of God. And as they would go out, they would delight in preaching the good news that there is repentance and forgiveness to the sinner. They were blessed most abundantly in their own personal spiritual life. He blessed them. He said to them, You are mine, and I will keep you. I will renew your knowledge of me, and I will continue to have mercy upon you. So as he lifted up his hands, holy hands, to bless them, it is a real and powerful blessing that falls upon them. Today, we would pray for the blessing of the Lord. And indeed, as we, at the end of our service, have the benediction pronounced, it is the blessing of God. It's not meaningless words. It's the very blessing of God. It's crying out that God will put his hand and his power upon you to lead you and direct you. That you would know the very presence and fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. By led by the Spirit of God, that you might know the Father God in heaven with all his power. That you will be blessed as you go out and in day by day in your families, to your work, fellowship of the church. That all of these things will be done under Christ and under God for the glory of his name. We could say that in some sense as Jesus rose up from heaven, rose up from the ground toward heaven and blessed the people, that he also was blessing us. Because it is through the ministry of the disciples, it's through the ongoing work, one after the other, generation after generation, that the gospel has come to you and me. We are blessed because he blessed us. And he continues to bless each succeeding generation. And of course the centerpiece for us is just the same. He blesses us with spiritual life. New life. Life for the glory of God. Do you count the blessings of the Lord? Do you know Jesus is the one who will bless you? And do you trust him to bless you in your ordinary activities that that the blessing of God is upon you. As long as you keep focus on Him, serve and honor Him. Fourthly, I want to remember that He ascended from them. He has been preparing them for this moment when He would ascend from them. He has been among them. Now, we must remember that here we have a compressed section, but for uh, sometime the risen Lord has been appearing and disappearing. And obviously it's what we read here. He comes to them and he startles them. They were startled and frightening as he appears in their midst. We could remember how he appeared with the two on the road to Emmaus. And as they walked and talked, did he not bless them with 
the communion that they had as they listened to the word. He opened up their minds to hear the word. And he broke the bread and they knew it was Jesus. What happened? He was gone. He was there physically. He was a man. He was real. Suddenly he was no longer there. Jesus, you see, between the resurrection and the ascension, has been coming and going. He has been appearing to people to encourage them, prepare them for the day when he would no longer appear in a physical form on the earth. Indeed, he was preparing them for this moment when he would ascend from the earth. And that is what he is doing here as he lifts up his hands we read that while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. At other times, he appears and he disappears. There's no sense in which they see him move away in a slow, gradual vision out of, the, out of sight. He just got, is gone. So there's something different about the ascension. Here is a finality. Here he ascends from the earth in his physical form forever. He will never appear again as he has been doing up to this point with the disciples to encourage and teach and help them. Even in the very act of blessing them, you can imagine him. People will have all kinds of pictures in their minds and if you've watched some of the movies, uh, you will... They will depict it in different ways, but you can imagine him ascending up to heaven slowly, visibly, with his hands out speaking to them. Then eventually, so far out of sight that he's gone. He ascended into heaven. He had to return to the Father, to take his rightful place at the right hand of God, to sit on the throne of heaven. They had been given understanding of the Scriptures. The disciples knew that though he was not going to be there physically, he was still with them. And so Jesus ascends from their visible presence. And they knew that he would probably not be seen again by them. And so, as he disappears from their sight, he leaves them in body, but not in spirit. And as we view that ascension for ourselves today, we need to have the confidence that the disciples had. Though we do not see a risen Savior, he is alive, he is with us by his spirit. When we come to Acts and learn of the day of Pentecost is the Spirit coming. We know Christ is here. He's not gone. We don't need a physical presence to be there to show us Him by His Spirit. Today Christ is not absent. We have been able to come around the Lord's table this morning and I do pray His presence was there. As we opened up the Word, as we reflected upon His suffering Upon his death for sinners, surely Jesus was in our midst to instruct, to help us, to feed upon him. He ascended from them. But then lastly, they worshipped him. 
Remember, here are disciples, men who had been confused, disheartened, downcast and afraid at his death. And he rose from the dead and appeared. They were afraid and disturbed. What does this all mean? And they would have wanted him to stay. Lord, we need you. You know what it's like for ourselves. We need a leader that we can see. We need someone present there with us physically. Are they going to be discouraged now that he has ascended from heaven? Are they going to fall into the pit of despair? No. What do we read in these last verses? 52 and 53 we read, Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. They're not disquieted. They're not discouraged. They know their Savior lives. He has ascended from them, but they are absolutely assured, completely assured of his life, a risen life, and that he will be with them, and that they have good news to take to others. And so what do they do? They worship with joy in their hearts. They see life in a completely new way. They have eternal life. The law with all its burdens of doing this and doing that and trying to live up to the minutiae of rules is gone. Repent and believe and be forgiven. What a great freedom. And they rejoice in this that Jesus, though he is not with them, has dealt with them so lovingly, tenderly, and will continue with them by his Spirit. And tonight, friends, you and I can give thanks to God for all that we have received. We do not see a body. We do not see a physical frame. But surely we have been reminded in the sacrament today of Jesus' suffering and death, his crucifixion. We have been reminded as one who came holy and bore sin for us. Are we not encouraged to go away with joy? All those terrible sins. My burdened heart can be free. I have confessed to the Lord. And I'm forgiven. Let us worship Him. More than that, like the disciples, they wanted to be in the temple. Why? Because there the word was read. And they understand it now with new meaning. There they're among people who worship the true God. Even some of them yet have not come to true faith. But the truth of God is there. How we should delight to worship together our God. To be in the place of worship, to delight in it. So the ascension doesn't bring discouragement and depression. But rather joy and delight. And a new zeal for the mission that they have been given. So here we have the ascension. He opens up their minds to truth. He gives them this mission and not on their own, reminding them to wait for his spirit. He blesses them even as he ascends from them. And all they can do is delight. What joy from our Lord. We commence this series at the Mount of Transfiguration. 
where the disciples saw Jesus enter into conversation with Moses and Elijah. A conversation about his departure, about the cross he would suffer. This morning at our communion, we were at the scene of Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull where he so cruelly died. Though even in his death he offered up prayer for his accusers. And how we can learn from so much from those things. As we came to the Lord's table, we were challenged by the Sermon on the Mount. What is your righteousness? Is it like that of the Pharisees? Or is it by faith in Christ? At the table we considered the mountain of healing. Jesus doing good to all the people. And surely for all our spiritual need, he's the one we're to come to. And though he has ascended, and we're thinking of that this evening, he is with us. And we can rejoice in him to the glory of God. Let us not cease worshipping him and delighting in him. Amen.